This season of Tub Talk is brought to you by Barracuda MSP. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. There are so many ransomware attacks that governments are now classifying them as terrorism. And it's not just big companies that are being targeted. Small and medium-sized businesses are becoming victims too. What are you as an MSP doing to help your clients from becoming the next victim? Barracuda MSP is here to help you ensure you and your clients are prepared and protected against the inevitable ransomware attacks. Let Barracuda MSP help you strengthen your ransomware protection plan. As a special offer for TubTalk listeners, visit barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. That's barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. Thanks to Barracuda MSP for helping bring you TubTalk. Now, on with the show. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. Now, in this season of the podcast, we've been interviewing the amazing women in tech, the ladies who are blazing a trail in the managed service provider industry. So my guest today is Amanda Stewart, the Managing Director of Edinburgh, Scotland-based MSP Illuminate. Now, Amanda founded Illuminate to help small businesses and charities in Scotland. And the business has a very strong focus on putting customer service as their number one priority. It is a conversation I've really been looking forward to having. So Amanda, welcome to TubTalk. Hi there, Richard. Thanks for the invite. Oh, my pleasure. Now, I said I've been looking forward to this. I really have. I saw you present at the CompTIA EMEA conference in uh, London. I think it was about two, three months ago. And now we're recording this in December of 2021. I was blown away by your story. I found it really, really inspiring. Uh, For those who aren't familiar with your story, can you give us some background on your role as managing director at Illuminate? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I started the business 14 years ago when my daughter was six months old. So um, I was with an organisation that weren't going to offer me flexible working. Um, and I had tried really hard to have children. You know, both my, my kids were IBF, so it was a, a very difficult struggle to get children in the first place. Um, so I wasn't really interested in working for an organisation that wasn't going to let me spend that time with my children. So in my um, naivety, I thought, right, well, I know what I'll do. I'll start my own business. That'll be much easier. I'll have as much time off as I want. How stupid was that? Um, So, yeah, so a six-month-old child and a new business. Uh, Looking back now, there must have been something not quite right in my head, if I'm honest. But, um, yeah, it worked to an extent. We've run the business as a a lifestyle business for uh, the times when my children were very young um, and it allowed me to kind of uh, have that time off with them. But um, as you know, running a, a any kind of IT business, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the background. So it hasn't always been easy, but, um, but yeah, it, it gave me that flexibility to an extent. Yeah, I think this. when I heard your story, uh, when you first shared it, I think there's some parallels with where we are now. So obviously you started the business back then because... Uh, you know, employee employers wouldn't give you the flexibility you need. I think if we fast forward to the modern day, we are seeing so many employees, you know, leaving their roles because they're not getting the flexibility to work from home or yeah. have flexible working hours and that. So I think your your story is as relevant now as it as it was back then. How, how do you reflect that in the you know uh, the employment you as an employer? How do you reflect that in the the staff that you take on? Yeah, I think um, the feedback that I've had from staff 
Um, and the way that I've always tried to run the business from day one is that, you know, staff are the, the lifeblood of your organisation. If you don't have happy staff and a team that are loyal, then you're not going to be giving a decent service to your customers. So um, our team, if there are any family issues at any point, they just drop everything and go. So whether they have children or not, whether it's a, an aging parent, whether it's a small child, whether they have to go and watch the activities that happen a lot this time of year, there's no question, you know, they, they will go, they will get that time off. It's not um, something that they have to request. It just is a given. Um, and I think when you do that, you get a certain amount of loyalty back, not from everyone, um, but from most people who will go, yeah, that's that's fair. So, you know, we've got this extra bit of work to do, so I'm happy to work over the weekend or in an evening just to get that finished. So you kind of give back what, you know, you, you get back what you give. And I think I wouldn't work, want to work for an organisation that, that wasn't like that. And I don't see why anybody else should in this day and age. Yeah, so many business owners like yourself from under I speak to who have built a business because they couldn't find find as an employee what they were looking for. Uh, yeah, certainly this uh, the case for me. So um, kudos for doing that. It's uh, appreciated you. Well, it's really short sighted to run a business any other way. Um, you especially in this day and age, you're not going to get the younger generation joining organisations that aren't flexible. It's just not going to happen. I think we had to put up with it. You know, cert- certainly people like me of a certain age had to put up with it for a good many years but it's just not the way of the world now yeah it was certainly a motivator for me also of a certain age uh going that when i was an employee you know looking back it was like uh, the world had to change and thankfully is changing uh, to some degree yeah. perhaps not as fast as some people would like but uh, how many people have you got within the team at illuminate there we've got six at the moment mm-hmm. um but we are actively uh, recruiting two at the moment so this afternoon after this i've got um uh, a technical person that I'm um, interviewing and, and another apprentice. So, yes, we are growing now. The whole point uh, was to grow the business um, starting in 2020, which was clearly not a good year to be trying to grow any kind of business. So that kind of took a back foot. Um, and so we're kind of trying to, 2021, we did quite a bit of growth. And 2022, we're going to uh, increase the team and try and push that forward a bit more. I have no doubt that you'll do it. I think listeners listening to this will already have gathered. You're a lady who likes a challenge. You've started a business <laughs> at a six-month-old, growing a business during a pandemic, but you're succeeding at both. It's uh, it's incredible stuff. Thank you. What type of clients do you typically work with? Uh, is it Do you work uh, exclusively with clients within your local area or have you branched further afield? Um, more or less within Edinburgh. We have some... Um, pretty far north sort of Aberdeenshire way and quite far down as far as Kelso. We haven't really gone any further than that because we haven't needed to. Um, as we expand, we may find that we can uh, sort of move out of those areas. But at the moment, um, I'm quite old fashioned in that I like to go and physically visit my clients. So to be further than that away from clients to me feels a little bit um a bit unsure of of not having that sort of touchy feely with my clients, so well, that's why we haven't expanded any further as yeah. yet. Absolutely makes sense. And I mentioned in your introduction uh, a couple of the types of clients that you work with, but are there any specific types of clients that you that you seek out to work with? Um, people that we 
feel uh, value their IT and we would want to work with. To be honest, it doesn't really matter what sector they're in. If they if they see IT as a cost, we'll get up and walk away. Um, if they see the value in IT and want to use us as a partner to help grow their business, um, not just IT as a cost that they have to put through the books, then those are the kind of clients we'll go for. It doesn't really matter the sector. Yeah, not not so much the vertical, but the the attitude they have towards the IT. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And how yeah. they treat myself and the staff as well, you know. We don't get out of bed in the morning to work with people who, um, you know, give us a hard time and make life difficult. You know, we want to work with organisations and people that respect us and our team. And we tend to uh, work better with those people and seek those kind of customers out. I love that attitude uh, because some people think, well, you've just got to work with anybody. I, I, I no. don't know about you, Amanda, when uh, I ran my MSP business and we uh, fired a, a client, which thankfully was quite rare. But when we did do that, I was always surprised that the the tech team, the service desk turned around to me and said, I'm surprised it took you that long, which was like an yeah. indication that everybody else knew that client wasn't there. Yeah. And also they thank you. I mean, we we sacked one about five years ago and it was a huge client for us. And at the time it was a real, oh my God, can we, you know, pay the wages at the end of the month? Um, but it had been a client from day one and you always get a gut feeling when you go in and see a client, or I certainly do, uh, whether they're going to work or not. But I had taken them on because we were, you know, we needed the money. And I thought, yeah, we're just going to go for it. It'll be fine. Um, and from day one, they just were not a good fit. And actually, the day that I sacked them was probably one of the highlights of the, the time that I've had as an MSP business. It was a lot of sleepless nights afterwards, thinking how we were going to um, recoup that money. But it was the best thing we did because it completely refocused the team. The team then realised that we weren't going to take that from customers um, and that I respected them and the way that they were getting treated. And that, to me, is is the importance of what we do you don't want people coming in thinking that they're going to have to speak to customers that are just going to um be shouting at them down the phone or being abusive or grumpy it's just where's the fun in that yeah life is way way too short we haven't got time to deal with uh, people like that it's really interesting in the uh, the tech tribe the online msp community that i'm a part of we often talk about celebrating wins and most people yeah. think about celebrating wins as being hey we want a new client we've uh, got a new certification we've hired a new member of staff there's this increasing uh, trend that i'm seeing that uh, people are realizing that a win can be firing a client because all the reasons that you mentioned uh, the emotional energy it frees up, you know, uh, all the worry that it relieves and just makes for a, a more homo- harmonious working environment as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned, I'm intrigued, you mentioned your gut feeling about, you know, clients when they're not going to work out for you. When you're in a sort of sales situation, speaking to a new client, are there any red flags that come up that you've learned to pay attention to that somebody may not be a good fit for you? Yeah, I think the ones that just ask for a price list. Um, we've had a few recently, and I think it may be just COVID-related that just phone up and say, send me a list of your prices. <clears throat> so those, you know, are only looking for price yeah. um, and aren't interested in um, what the tech can actually do for them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, and yeah, I think when you go in to meet people, you kind of, the way they talk about their current or their um their experiences with IT businesses before. Um, that always gives me a bit of an indication. If there's been a massive falling out, 
um, or they they talk about tech and go, yeah, they've never been able to get that to work. You kind of think, right, well, there's possibly a reason behind that um, and it's possibly not the IT company's fault. So I'm always a bit um, hesitant if, if they, they come in and the first thing they want to do is, is bash the, the outgoing IT people. Yeah, yeah. One of my mentors years, years ago told me um, how you uh, talk about anybody is how you talk about everybody. And uh, so you can get a lot of absolutely from, you know, how people uh, react to somebody that they worked with before. Because in my experience, it's rarely all negative or it's rarely all positive. It's usually somewhere in between. So I, I, I love yeah. that. I look for that red flag. Now, prior to Illuminate, your job roles had mostly been in IT, in technology. Would you describe yourself as a, as a techie, as a geek? Um, I think those two words for me are very different. So I would I would say I was techie. Um, I'm really interested in tech, and but only really in how it will make a difference to myself or the customers. I think geeks are more people who put technology in for technology's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, but my background, uh, so when I first started off my working life, I was a secretary because in my day, careers counsellors told you you could either be a secretary or a nurse if you were a female. So those were your choices. I mean, I wasn't very good with blood. So um, I started off as a secretary and ended up um, being in uh, an organisation that had the, the accounts department had just um, acquired a couple of IBM computers and put them in the typing pool. And because there was only one typewriter that we all had to share, um, I was really bored and ended up setting up these uh, computers and teaching myself were perfect. That's how old I am. Um, and uh, it kind of came from there. So I knew that it was a tool that would make me able to be more productive for myself because as a teenager I was so bored um, and uh, that to me is the is what a techie is it's somebody that takes technology and makes it work for an organization um, and makes them more productive not just something that they think oh this will this is the next best thing let's put that in yeah that makes a, a lot of sense Let's talk about tools for a minute then, if we may. Um, what are the primary sure. t- tools you use for, for productivity uh, within Illuminate? What's, what does your MSP stack look like? Okay, so only recently have we put in ConnectWise. So we put ConnectWise managing um, in the middle of 2020 uh, when we kind of realised that there wasn't going to be um, much else going on in a lot of our clients' landscapes. We thought it was a good time to put in a PSA we had had autotask many many years before when there was only three of us in the organization um, and it was complete overkill for what we were wanting to do in those days um, so we had taken it out and we had been working with a very basic sort of spreadsheet type business which I'm sure a lot of small MSPs will remember being the, the olden days of, of how you ran your businesses um, but we got to the stage where we found that we were just not being productive enough and we Bit the bullet and, and went with ConnectWise. So we've implemented ConnectWise and I, I say now, I think we're only really getting to the stage where we understand it and it's working as well as it should be. Um, I think there's more we can do with it um, that we're talking to them about at the moment. So between that and IT Glue that we put in at the same time, between the two of those, those are our sort of fundamental tools that we use on a daily basis. Yeah. What made you choose ConnectWise over um, any of the other tools on the market? 
Um, well, we had we looked at ConnectWise and we looked at Autotask, and I suspect my previous experience with Autotask had put me off. Um, but what I will say about both of them is that um, it's the implementation and the time that you spend doing it properly at the start that is the most important thing. I think if we had done the same thing with Autotask many years before, um, we wouldn't have had to go through that pain of all those different other solutions before we moved to ConnectWise. So I don't think that Autotask is any worse a tool. It's just the fact that we were too small, it wasn't the right time, and we didn't and didn't have the time to implement it properly. So I don't think it matters what tool you use. You need to spend that time and money at the start to get it to work right. Yeah, absolutely agree. I speak to so many MSPs who have um, you know flip flopped between you know the big two Autotask ConnectWise, then moved to a yeah. tech or a Harmony, whatever it might be. If you don't put the effort in up front uh, for for this tool to act, because it's essentially your business operating system, isn't it? If you of course don't put, it is, yeah. put the effort in up front, you know it's not going to uh, yield the results. So great to hear that you've uh, settled on ConnectWise and doing well. And I should say, when I, I've never ever spoken to an Autotask ConnectWise. Uh, any other PSA user who said, oh, yeah, we're using the tool to the fullest of its abilities. No. <laughs> Everybody says, yeah, yeah but, about 10%. But you know that with your customers as well. They all have tools that they don't use to the, the fullest capacity, and we're always giving them a ride for doing that. But, you know, we don't really um, take our own advice at the, at the end of the day, do we? No, no. It's all too often, all too often. Now, back in Tub Talk, it was episode 56, actually, I interviewed Robert Bohr of uh, Keepable. Uh, Keepable have got this compliance as a service offering for MSP, uh, MSPs. I know that you're a GDPR consultant as well, aren't you, and a practitioner. How did that specialism come about? Yes, for my sins. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I saw it coming and I thought, this is going to be huge. Um, I... It was kind of, for me at the time, a bit like uh, the Y2K. And it, to be to be honest, ended up being a bit like Y2K and that most businesses didn't really care. Um, so I went through the, the GDPR um, course and uh, became a practitioner because I thought it was going to be the sort of thing that customers are going to be asking for. I think we had two customers that I actually took through GDPR compliance. Um, and to be honest, it, st- it stood them in really good stead for all the sort of cyber uh, essential stuff that has come since. And it's given them a real feel for why it's important. So, you know, you can have good discussions with customers about cybersecurity, but if they don't understand the GDPR behind it, it doesn't really make any sense to them. They don't realise the kind of implications that are going to be coming. So actually, it's they actually go together quite well. Um, so where I haven't had a huge amount of work just purely on GDPR, um, it's actually been really good for having conversations with customers about cyber. Yeah. I, with GDPR, I was speaking to uh, Nancy Sabino, who is uh, an MSP owner based out of Houston in uh, Texas uh, for this season of the podcast. And uh, Nancy's also uh, focused on um, um, HIPAA and other regulation in uh, their specific market. And um, she and I were speaking about the opportunity for MSPs in compliance and regulation. Huge amounts of opportunity. But as you said, Absolutely. 
yeah. you know, the compliance and the security go hand in hand. You can't have one really without the other um, here. Yeah. So I can see how that's absolutely uh, been a, a benefit to you. Uh, cybersecurity is something you, like so many MSPs, are, are focused on. Um, how do you approach the topic of cybersecurity and things like backup and disaster recovery with your clients? Because some clients are prone to just saying, yeah, it's not for us. Yeah, I I don't think we've really got that nailed a bit like most MSPs, to be honest. You have to really talk about the things that could happen um, without scaring them, because I think they've they've had the last few years of everybody just saying, oh, yeah, you're going to get hacked. Um, And it just makes them switch off. So it's been really difficult having a conversation with them about the risks without scaring them, but also making them aware of the issues. And unfortunately, um, we've had a lot of clients have come to us or potential clients have come to us because they've been hacked um, and want to put something in place that will make them more secure. And our current customers, we've just been really honest and gone back to them and said, look, these are the absolute minimums that you have to have. These are the other things we would like you to have, but we can understand that we need to go through a budget process with you and find out when and you can implement these things. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, COVID has helped sort of put that to the top of customers' minds because they have got staff working from home and they understand that they can't see what they're doing and they don't know what they're connecting to. So in some ways, it's helped a bit. Um, but I, I do really think that it's still a difficult conversation to have unless you've got a really good relationship with your customers where they trust you and they don't just think you're just trying to sell them stuff and I think the other important thing is education as well we what we say to a lot of our customers is that it's not necessarily about putting lots of shiny tools uh, that are going to cost you money there's a lot of things that you can do to educate your staff because education is the number one thing to stop cyber if your staff are well trained then um you're not going to be as much at risk. So we tend to do a lot around education rather than um, spending a lot of time trying to sell them tools. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Could not agree more that, you know, this uh, cybersecurity is not a problem. It's going to be resolved by technology alone. It's going to have to be the education, the human element. With that said, do you use any specific cybersecurity tools within your business? Is there anything in your stack that you'd recommend? Um, yeah, I think the most important one and certainly the one that makes the most sense to, to customers is um, cybersecurity training. Uh, so, so we use a tool, its name has just completely gone, you secure, Nigel, it's come back into my head again. Um, and we, we do that with a lot of our clients. So they have signed up to these sort of bite-sized uh, courses that they get for their staff every week. Um, and that gives them a really good idea of, of what level their staff are on, who are the, the vulnerabilities within the organisation. So, you know, we sell the usual um, endpoint protection and VPN technology and um, RMM tools, all that kind of stuff, backup. But the most important one or the one that seems to make the most sense to customers is um, training for the staff. Yeah. So would you say you're a big fan of, of Secure in that case? I like Secure. I think it's a really good product. Um, the only thing I would say is that once you get to the end of, of the training and it starts going back around again, um, customers get a bit frustrated. I've not really found anything else that will plug that, that hole yet. 
um, because you kind of go from that onto sort of IT security training and, you know, you don't necessarily, customers aren't really interested in going that far. Yeah. Um, so I suspect once you get to the end of you secure, that's probably as, as good as you're going to get for end users. Yeah, and all the tools that you're you're mentioning here, Amanda, for anybody uh, listening at home, we will include links to all the tools, all the resources that Amanda mentions here, including uh, YouSecure as well. I want to shift focus a little bit from cybersecurity to customer service. I mentioned in your introduction, you know, how focused you are on the customer service aspect of business. And if I can, I'm going to quote one of your clients, Susan Ireland at Hickory Food. Uh, She said, Amanda has been my IT saviour for over eight years, which is uh, quite a, a warm endorsement there. How would you describe your relationship with your clients? Um, well, we, I didn't know what a, what, um, a, a sort of burnout rate was until I started meeting with other MSPs. Um, we don't, we don't have one, we don't have a turnover of, of clients particularly. I think we've maybe lost five clients in the 14 years that we've been going. Wow, so um, the rate is incredibly low. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, our, our relationship with clients is key. Um when Sue Ireland wrote that, it was about six years ago. So she's been with us over 14 years now. Um, and uh, yeah, we just, we always have open and honest conversations with them. Um, we hire particularly on um, how we think our engineers will be in front of clients. We don't necessarily hire on technical skills alone. Technical skills can be learned, but soft skills um, and the being able to talk to customers is to me more important than the the, the technical skills because they can always be taught. Um, so so yeah, our, our customers are very loyal um, and we like working with them. So yeah, it works well. Absolutely. Clearly works well. Uh, if you've had a client there 14 years and such a low churn. I mean, even the, the word churn probably doesn't apply to your business because there's not no turnover of clients to speak of at all. That's in, that's incredible. How how do you actually go about encouraging that culture of customer service within your within your own team at Illuminate? Well, as as I've kind of said, it starts from interview process. So um, it's really to me more important that the people that we hire are able to talk to customers and have those skills and then once they're in the business it's always about right okay there's a ticket here think about how the customer is feeling put yourself in the customer's shoes if they haven't heard from you for two days are they going to be happy with that no so you know what can you do to to change that is it's all about customer focus you know we have um everybody sort of looks over tickets because we're a small team we don't have any sort of service delivery managers yet so the whole team are aware that they need to keep looking at the queues, they need to keep looking at emails and making sure that customers are happy because at the end of the day, the customer is not always right, but they're always a customer and um, they need to be kept up to date, even if there isn't anything to tell them, just to go back and say, yeah, we're still, we're still looking at this case and we're still working on it and um, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Yeah, over-communication. I've heard some people refer to it. Yeah, as- totally, yeah. No and finding way. new ways of, of of connecting with them as well, I think. Yeah. And I think also the personal touch, I think that has worked for us really well over the years where um, our, our customers get to know all of our engineers. We don't have a high turnover of staff either. So 
they get to know the people that work for us um, and see them in, in the flesh. It wasn't so easy last year, obviously, with COVID, but um, we're doing a lot of video calls and com- um, Zoom meetings and Teams meetings, so that works. Yeah, very good. How involved do you get as owner now in the technical side of the business? Do you do, you do any technical work anymore? Yeah, I've still not been able to get myself out of the trenches. Um, I'm not quite sure how long that will still take. Uh, unfortunately, I still like to be in the technical side. I think I will still always have an overview on the technical side and certainly the technical um, future of the business and the sort of things that we take on board. Um, so, yeah, I'm still more involved than I should be. And I know that will change as we, as we grow. But technical is always the, the important bit to me. So um, I will be outsourcing as much of the other stuff as I can. Yeah, I think the stuff, what I found, Amanda, is the, the stuff that we like doing is actually the hardest to give up as a, an MSP business owner. Yes. I'm, a, I'm a techie <clears throat> like you. I enjoy seeing how technology can be leveraged to help people. And uh, I found that a challenge to extract myself. But uh, it sounds like you're on the on the right road to that. You're aware of it, which a lot of MSP owners aren't. They can't understand why they can't find the time in the day to do business growth activities. But you're all very... Yeah. Very, very aware of that. Yeah. What parts of running an MSP business or being an MSP owner do you find the most challenging? Lots of them, to be honest, but I suspect that the top two would be um, the finance and uh, marketing. I think, I don't think I've spoken to an MSP yet that enjoys or understands marketing. It's kind of a black art that. Um, never seems to to work for anybody. Um, so yeah, those two. I've I've taken on a fantastic uh, finance director who's now part of my management team, and she has been um, an absolute whiz in the last year. And she's kind of fundamental to turning the business around um, the sort of financial results that we've had this year. Uh, so that's been fantastic. And marketing, we outsource we've we've just taken on a company that are helping us with not just marketing but with business growth so those kind of things kind of go hand in hand so there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes before we can do the growth part and the marketing part so they're working on that at the moment Um, and I think that's the important thing of running a business is to understand things that you aren't good at and make sure you hire or outsource to people that are experts and take their advice because so often I've gone, nah, I know better than that and it's it's not worked. Um, so yeah, it, take the advice and get somebody that you trust and somebody that's recommended is always worth worth their salt rather than trying different people and then um, having issues. Yeah, I, I always find it fascinating that within the MSP industry, if we think about it, our entire role is saying to clients, hey, look, you want to get on with running your business. Let us handle all of the IT, outsource it to us. And yet us as MSP owners, we don't really explore outsourcing the aspects of the business that we either don't like or are not very good at to other people. So great to see that you're doing that with the marketing. And I think more MSP should follow that focus. Yeah. Yeah. I want to change tact again a little bit. Uh, the IT industry is notorious for being a male-dominated industry. I think that's fair to say. What have your experiences been as a, a strong woman in this tech space? Um, yeah, well, I, I suppose being 
being at events where um, you can actually get into a toilet is quite good because usually when you go to events, there's a queue to, for the ladies' toilets. But um, that's the that's the one good thing about it, I would say. Uh, to be honest, probably in the last ten years, I haven't had many instances where I've kind of come come away going, "Oh, come on." Um, either that, or I've just got so old and jaded, I don't notice it anymore. But in my early days, you get the the comments about, oh, you know, don't use that screwdriver, do that, you might break a nail and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, occasionally you'll maybe get um, resellers or, or, or companies who come in to talk to a group um, who particularly talk about the tech to the men and think that I'm there just to sort of do the marketing or um, the HR. But... Yeah, I think probably I've just become jaded to it over the years and just don't don't um, see it as much. My sister's also in a male-dominated industry. She works in the oil industry. So I think her and I, between us, have got some um, fairly hair-raising stories over the years of, of some of the things that have been said to us and some of the things that have been done. But at the end of the day, you kind of um, just have to accept it. And I find it quite interesting that some of the younger women coming in to this industry are quite surprised that some of that is still there but most of the the networking groups and, and the people that I work with now um the the men within those groups are really conscious that it's an issue and are trying really hard for it not to be anymore which is really um heartening to see so I think we are definitely going in the right direction and there'll always be exceptions to every rule I know that but um yeah, I, I see it being a better landscape for women coming into than it used to be. Yeah, I would broadly agree with you as well. I, I you know, I don't think it's a, a problem that anybody is holding uh, women back from working in IT. It's just a, a, the, the biggest challenge I see is encouraging young girls and women into the technology space because it's just seen it's got this stigma or a stereotype of being a male industry. And of course, that isn't the case. And, and hopefully, you know, uh, this season of the podcast, we're interviewing so many amazing women like yourself, Amanda, who work in tech. So I hope we can change some uh, perspectives there. Um, being a mother is a really tough gig in of itself. Um, but starting an MSP business when you've got a six-month-old, uh, you know, in incredible. We've already touched upon that. How do you balance being a mom and being an MSP owner? Right. Well, you really need to ask my children that question. Um, it's it's not easy. I think um, I started the business off to give me flexible working, and that has worked in that I'm able to drop things, at, you know, when I need to go and do things um, that the children need me for. Um, it's it's very difficult. You feel like you're never. Women are very bad at. Uh, hitting themselves over the head they they never think they're doing it right they're, they either think they're failing at being a mother or they're failing at running a business and actually when they sit back and look at it or somebody else points out to them um they're actually probably doing a pretty good job of both um there's always a big joke about women being able to multitask well there's nothing like a mother um multitasking when they have to um, you know, juggle all the things that the kids need in the morning, plus go to a client, plus, you know, sort out HR issues and get the tech working. So, yeah, it's um, it just means 
that your life is quite stressful. And my kind of wish for the future is that women stop making so many demands on themselves. These are, I find in my life that it's demands that I put on myself than more than other people put on me um, that are the stresses. And I think my wish for my daughter is that she doesn't go down that rabbit hole and realises that some things will have to give and that it's, that's absolutely okay and that there are other people that can do it. I'm very bad at things with my husband where he could quite easily pick up some of the stuff with the kids. But being the mum, I want to be there. I want to be involved in it all. Um, and that's not always possible. So, um, yeah, it's it's not easy, but I think a lot of the pressure is put on myself. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Let me put you on the spot. Would would you encourage your daughter to work in the IT industry? Well, I've tried. So she's 14 um, and she's just taken her subject choices for um, for her uh, exams next year. And when I have a discussion with her about um, technology, uh, the STEM acronym always puts her off. It talks about engineering, it talks about maths, both of which, um, despite having two uh, women, two entrepreneurs in her family, myself and my sister, um, who are involved in male-dominated industries in engineering, um, she just thinks those, those are male-dominated industries, which makes me want to scream. Um, so if I can't persuade her, how am I going to persuade other young women? Um, but I think, I think schools need to go a long way to helping with that. There needs to be more role models, perhaps having a mum and an aunt that are in, a, in male-dominated industries that aren't cool enough. Maybe it needs to be somebody a bit um, more in the social media uh, sphere that would make younger people or younger girls more interested in tech. My son has already uh, told me that he's going to take over the business and sack me by the time he's 20. So um, I don't have an issue with him, but I'm, I'm really frustrated that I haven't been able to impart that in my daughter but then do you know what it's not for everybody male or female so you can't push somebody into something that they're not interested in yeah that's fascinating how do you think that we as the msp industry how can we encourage more people to be interested in a career in technology it needs to start early it needs to start in primary schools i think i started before covid going into primary schools taking old computers in and letting the kids take them to bits it was primarily to get girls interested in it um, and the kids absolutely loved it. It was just something hands-on and fun that they could do um, and just talking about the different jobs there are in technology. I think the, the, the perception of technology um, or IT within schools is it's all programming yes, and that there are no other jobs within IT apart from programming and there's so many um, you know, more than probably any of us know, uh, there'll be, there's probably a handbook somewhere that will tell you what they all are, but there's just not enough um, information out there for schools to to give young people um, on all the different jobs that are out there. So it needs to start from a very, very young age um, and make people, make young kids interested in tech and not just give them tools that allow them to program robots it just shows them that the things that are, I mean, the gaming industry um, over the last sort of 20 years will have a, had a huge influx of people into, into that because it's fun, it's interesting and kids are, are into it. 
social media will be the next one. But there's so many other things that just aren't as glamorous that we need to get out there. Yeah, absolutely. I spoke to uh, Maggie Philbin of Tomorrow's World. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. She's fantastic. Uh, we interviewed her for episode 100 of the uh, podcast. And, um, you know, she's got an OBE for uh, services to uh, technology. But one of the her biggest passions is a charity called Teen Tech, which does exactly what you're speaking about, which is raising awareness with schools, working with teachers, working in the education system to let people yeah. know, hey, technology is not just spreadsheets. It's not just programming. Uh, there is all manner of things that can be done there. And some of the, um, you know, it's really eye-opening, not just for the children, but for the teachers as well to see all the exciting things, all the applications that technology can have. Because as you said earlier on, you know, it's not about being a geek. Uh, for some people it is, and that's absolutely cool. I speak as a geek myself. I love just tinkering with technology. But there's many people who have got less of an interest in tech, but more of an interest in how tech can help people like yourself. And I think we should really, really be encouraging that in the education system. Definitely. Yeah. Um, your business Illuminate, you're active in uh, B1G1, Business for Good. I'm really intrigued about that. Can you explain the concept behind B1G1? Sure. Um, B1G1 is an amazing organisation. Uh, so the concept behind it is effectively, so, um, if, so if a customer buys from you, you give something back. So it, it, it's not a huge commitment financially. You basically... Um, you sign up to their uh, website and you can pick the different uh, causes that you want to give to. And it can be anything for, from um, a bookkeeping course for somebody in Zambia um, to uh, reading books for, for children in some third world country, or it could even be uh, feeding a homeless person in the UK at Christmas time. So what we do is for every invoice we send out, um, we, we give back something. And every Christmas, our customers get a, a certificate that um, is usually tied into their business. So um, if it was an architect firm, they'll get something about housing. Um, and it, it just, it's something that they get at Christmas time that feels that they, they are able to give something back and it makes them feel warm and fuzzy. We enjoy doing it and it's actually doing some good. And the, I, I really do believe that if every small business got behind something like B1G1, we could eradicate a lot of the, the major issues in the world like um, homelessness and hunger. Um, so it's a fantastic organisation to be involved in. Yeah, and we'll include details of B1G1, Business for Good, in the show notes as well, because I absolutely agree with you. Um, it, it's small actions like that, uh, they all yeah. accumulate to something very, very big and can make such a difference. So uh, thanks for bringing that to my attention. I really wasn't aware of it before I uh, before you made me aware of it, so thank you. Um, we're talking, talking about doing good. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I saw you speak at the CompTIA EMEA uh, event. CompTIA do so much good for, for the industry as a whole and the uh, philanthropic uh, side of things as well. CompTIA do an awful lot of good for, for charity. What does being a part of communities like CompTIA bring to you and your business? A huge amount, to be honest. Um, the, they're a support network. I think particularly over COVID, um, it was very difficult to get to in-person events. So being able to, to speak to people who were going through the same thing was invaluable. 
um, you get amazing advice on on topics that you weren't even aware were a thing until somebody brings it up in the room. Um, so emotional support, uh, technical fixes, um, introduction to, to different technologies or uh, programmes that you weren't maybe aware of, um, and just a great place to meet people that are going through the same thing. Running a business can be quite a lonely place, and there's only so much that your sort of other halves will understand if they're not in the industry. So to be able to get in a room with other people who know what you're talking about is fantastic. I, can, I honestly, Comptia um, and some of the other groups that I'm involved in are just um, a lifesaver, really. Yeah. Are you happy to mention any of the other groups you're involved in? Because we, on this podcast, we shine a light on Comptia. We talk about the Tech Tribe, but there's so many communities out there. So for anybody listening, yeah. you know, what are other communities you might recommend? I'm involved in Tech Tribe as well, but I'm a bit of a lurker. I haven't um, really spent as much time on there as I would like. I think what I've done is I've gone from being involved in no groups to being involved in way too many very, very quickly. Um, and, you know, as I said earlier about beating yourself over the head, I feel I'm not giving enough to all of them. So um, some are getting left behind, unfortunately. But, um, no, I'm, I'm a part of the Evolve group as well, ConnectWise Evolve, which are very good. Um and yeah, just local groups like our sort of um, our local um, federation for small businesses, our local chambers, all these kind of places, they all have different vibes. I'm also involved in quite a few um, female entrepreneur groups. Um, so for the, the women that are, are listening, those are actually very different to um, the sort of uh, the general ones in a way that there's. In some ways, there's less pressure on you when you go to the women-only groups. Um, they don't, you don't feel like you have to um, be so much on show. You know, it's not like you go in your your dressing gown and slippers, but you just feel a little bit more um, accepted as a woman in tech. Um, but you know, all the groups bring something different. I would, I haven't found one yet that I haven't felt included in, and that haven't brought me. A great deal of of support. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when earlier on when you said running an MSP business, running any business can be a lonely gig, uh, can't it? And you know, especially yeah. after the pandemic or during the pandemic and after it, you know, uh, the loneliness amongst business owners can be really, really high. I personally, my MSP business was dare I say built off the back of communities and peer collaboration and support. And to this day, you know, I'm still actively involved. So for anybody listening to this, who's not got involved in the community, you know, follow Amanda's advice, seek out one of many communities out there or even local business groups and that, because it is one of the best things you can ever do for your business. But uh, I'm yeah. super grateful that um, CompTIA brought us together, uh, Amanda. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thanks so much for taking time out. Uh, for, for the benefit of listeners, we're recording this in uh, December 2021 as we speak. Uh, we've got the COVID-19 pandemic sort of running riot in the UK at the moment. And uh, uh, Amanda and I were talking just before we came on air about how what a busy time it is for MSP owners. So Amanda, I'm so grateful for you taking time out of your busy day to uh, to talk to me today. Really appreciate it. No problem. It was lovely to talk to you, Richard. Yeah. If anybody wants to connect with you, and I'm sure there's going to be lots of people who want to connect with you and continue the conversation, uh, what's the best way they can connect with you online? Probably LinkedIn. I'll give you the details um, of my LinkedIn profile. Uh, email 
everybody gets inundated with emails, so it's just going to get lost. But yeah, LinkedIn would be ideal. No worries. We will include your LinkedIn details on uh, the show notes for this show as well, so anybody can go to the website and find out. Amanda, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for your time today. No problem. Thanks, Richard. Cheers. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. This season of Tub Talk is brought to you by Barracuda MSP. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. There are so many ransomware attacks, governments are now classifying them as terrorism. You've seen the news. Oil pipelines, universities, corporations, all paying millions of dollars. It's not just big companies that are being targeted. Small and medium-sized businesses are becoming victims too. So what are you as an MSP doing to help your clients from becoming the next statistic? Barracuda MSP is here to help ensure you and your clients are prepared and protected against the inevitable ransomware attack. One, attacks start with an innocent-looking email that tricks users into revealing usernames and passwords. Barracuda MSP can train your clients on your behalf to recognize an attack and enable you to deploy anti-phishing technology. Two, secure clients' web applications. File-sharing services, web forms, and e-commerce sites often have weak points hackers are looking for. If hackers get into these applications, they go after business data. Protect access to these applications so hackers can't get onto your your client's network. Three, backup is a must. Today's solutions make it simple and fast to protect archives and backup or restore an up-to-date copy of an entire server or an individual file. Let Barracuda MSP help you strengthen your ransomware protection plans. As a special offer for TubTalk listeners, visit barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. That's barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.